You're now listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Uh, We are joined here today again with Kaylin Deaver, and uh, we're going to be discussing preferred returns, a very specific type of preferred return and how they're taxed. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, Before we dive right into today's episode, I do want to remind everybody about our Tax Smart Real Estate Investor community on Facebook. There's a lot of conversations taking place right now as it relates to real estate tax. And with the Biden tax changes in the pipeline, uh, this is definitely something you're going to want to stay on top of. And we'll be posting updates periodically as they become available in the community. Uh, so you can get access to that community by going to Facebook and simply typing in tax smart investors, excuse me, tax smart real estate investors, and you'll be able to find us. Or you can go to facebook.com slash groups uh, slash tax smart investors, and you'll be able to find us that way as well. And one last thing before we dive right in. So in the next few weeks, we'll be doing a Q&A on operating agreements, and we want to hear from you. What questions do you have? You can submit your questions by sending us an email to contact at therealestatecpa.com and putting operating agreement questions in the subject line, and we'll go ahead and answer as many as we can. And without further ado, we're going to jump right in. Kaylin, I know you were on last week, but can you give us a brief overview on your background for anybody who may not have tuned into last week's episode? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Hi, everyone. Uh, Thanks for having me back again this week. As Tom mentioned, I'm a tax manager here at the Real Estate CPA. I specialize in large partnerships such as syndications and funds, and our team serves clients with as few as five partners and up to 800 partners in a partnership. Our funds see anywhere from a couple million dollars to up to 700 million and growing. Wow, it's a big range. All right. So like I said earlier, today we're going to be talking about a very specific type of preferred return. And uh, I'm going to let Kaylin break down uh, what type of preferred return we'll be talking about. And uh, so there's no confusion as to what we're talking about today. Thanks, Tom. Preferred returns are something we see in almost every operating agreement. So I think it's great. We can expand on it this week and uh, devote a whole episode to it to start As Tom mentioned, there's multiple types of preferred returns, so to speak, and a PREF can be structured in multiple ways. So to really differentiate between the simplest of preferred returns, which is essentially a preferential distribution of profit. So a partnership agreement could state that the first 10% of cash flow or profits would be distributed to the limited partners, and then the remainder is distributed according to a waterfall agreement or percentage interest. This type of preferred return is to give investors a sense of security and that they're going to receive priority in the profits the fund generates. The second type of preferred return and what we're really going to focus on today is a fixed rate of return. It's typically calculated annually and it's based on investors' original capital contribution. Tom, I'm going to take a second just to read an example from an operating agreement so it's clear what this looks like in practice. Absolutely. From an operating agreement that we've seen and is from one of our clients, Class A member preferred returns means a cumulative non-compounded yearly return of 7% payable to the Class A members 
based on each Class A member's unrecovered capital contribution amount. If unpaid, such Class A preferred return shall be rolled over into the following year. So to summarize, this was found in the definition section of the partnership operating agreement, and it stated that the Class A members were entitled to a yearly return of 7%, which will accrue if not paid. Uh, just a quick recap on last week's episode, in case you haven't listened to it yet. Typically, preferred returns are paid, we often see, to the limited partners because those are the ones that contribute the most amount of capital. All right, Kaylee. So just for everybody who's listening, just to be clear, because there are two different types of preferred returns that, that, that are out there, even though there's many, but the two types that we're differentiating between today, the one we're talking about today is going to be the one that is a fixed return on capital. And it's not just the preferential treatment of, of cash. Flows. Exactly. You got it, Tom. All right. When we're kind of diving right into this here, uh, what is the typical preferred rate of return that you normally see? Typically see a range from six to 10% and 8% being the most common, but there's a lot of factors that drive this investor sophistication and goals, your relationship to the investor and location. I'd say location plays a pretty big role in the rate of a preferred return because there may be larger gains expected on the back end due to the property appreciating rather than just rental income cash flows throughout the life of the partnership. For example, a New York fund may require less of a pref than a Nebraska investment since generally New York properties appreciate much quicker and investors can expect more gain on the back end of the deal. Uh, so from an investment perspective, the reason why we have these types of preferred returns, the reason why we see them is because investors want a sense of security that they're going to get at least a minimum rate of return on their money. And in sometimes we can see it where you will be able to participate in the upside uh, potential beyond that, usually at a lower rate than if you did not go with this type of preferred return. But then again, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's just this fixed rate of return. That's all you get. But again, this is for the sense of security. And usually you're going to see uh, multiple types of classes in these deals. Um, and you'll be able to pick either the A class or the B class, depending on what your risk tolerance is or what type of return you're looking to, to, to go for at the end of the day. Uh, so I just kind of want to jump in and, and, and kind of clarify that there. But you know, now turning it back to Caitlin, you know, how often would investors be able to expect to receive this type of preferred payment? Generally, we see operating agreements state that the preferred payment is calculated and paid once per year. Uh, but we also frequently see verbiage that says it's at the discretion of the manager. So the discretion of the manager doesn't just mean that the manager won't pay it because he just doesn't like his investors that year. Uh, it just means he has the discretion to decide what's best for the fund. Um, and typically, we see this come into play in scenarios of initial years of partnership funds. And the reason for that is cash flow is typically just lower in those initial years due to improvements, repairs, startup costs, and paying the PREF could put the fund in further cash flow issues. So the little additional detail there that leaves it up to the manager's discretion, it's, it's still guaranteed each year, but it may not be paid until later in the deal or even at the end when the property is sold. So, so if there's no, so if the cash is, if it's not available to pay it, then basically it will just get kind of, it might accumulate all the way till the end. And then when the property is sold and the cash does become available, uh, they will eventually get that payment. Yeah, absolutely. And so like Tom said, typically uh, it accrues. Um, sometimes it can be compounding as well. We don't see that very often though. And, you know, just look to your operating agreement and be sure to ask for clarification if it's not stated in there directly. 
Absolutely. So would you be able to take us a walk, like a walk through, through a preferred return calculation? Sure. So hang with me here. Cause we're talking about numbers through, through a podcast. So I understand uh, it's a lot to take in, but typically a pref is calculated based on the number of days. So let's assume one year for ease, an original capital contribution of $100,000. And we'll say a pref of 8% since that's what we typically see. So Based on that, an investor can expect a eight thousand dollar pref for per year. So, like we mentioned previously, if it's not paid in year one, it'll frequently accrue. Um, but check the operating agreement for confirmation. So, if it's not paid in year one, sixteen thousand dollars would be due in year two, and so on. One thing that can affect the prefs is that it's calculated based on original cap capital contribution or unreturned capital. And so the reason I want to differentiate here is because over the long run, it can make a huge difference in the investment period. So the operating agreement that I read earlier in the episode, you know, it mentioned that it was based on unreturned capital. So for example, let's say you have the PREF of $8,000 in year one, but on January 1 of year two, you receive a distribution as a return of capital of $25,000. So you initially put in $100,000. But in year two, you just received a distribution of $25,000. So at this point, you only have $75,000 remaining in the deal. If the operating agreement says the PREF is calculated based on your original capital contribution, you're still going to receive the $8,000 at the end of year two. Your, your $8,000, the $8,000 that you're entitled to doesn't change over the life of the investment. But if we're using the operating agreement above, since the PREF is calculated based on unreturned capital, your PREF at the end of year two will be calculated by the 75,000 times the 8% stated PREF rate. And so your PREF at the end of year two would only be 6,000. So again, as we talked about last week, there's a lot of nuances in an operating agreement and attorneys are typically or frequently gonna use templates it can be tough for investors and fund managers alike to interpret these. So it's really important to work with a knowledgeable CPA so that you, your investors, everyone's on the same page and it's very clear of how it's going to be calculated. The little variances in the wording as shown above can make a huge difference over the life of the investment. For sure. And you know, if you're on the investor side of this, if you're going to be investing in such deals, you're going to want to be reading the operating agreement very carefully, just so that you can understand what you're getting yourself into. Because as Caitlin just mentioned, um, these types of pre uh, these types of prefs can be based either on your capital contribution or on your unreturned capital. And which one of those can make a difference, especially if the sponsor is planning to return capital to you, to you over the life of the deal, you may not be getting the full return preferred return you thought you were going to be getting uh, if you misread or misinterpreted these operating agreements. So it's just something to be very careful on. And I, as I think I mentioned last week, there's an excellent book uh, for investors on waterfalls. Not sure it goes too much into the tax impacts on it, uh, but it does go through how to read preferential returns. And that's the hands-off real estate investor, or I think it might be the hands-off investor by Brian Burke of Praxis Capital, a book that I, I've read that book not too long ago, an excellent book on syndication investing uh, in general, something you'll want to check out. Uh, but back to taxes, of course. So we went through all of this today, Kaylin, and uh, now it comes down to how how people, what are the tax impacts of this? So uh, where's a PREF shown on the K-1? 
Um, and how does that affect uh, investors when it comes time to uh, file taxes? Yeah, this this part is tricky. You know, I don't think anything in partnership uh, tax is easy. Uh, like I mentioned on the last episode, 704B is one of the most complex uh, code sections of the Internal Revenue Code. And uh, preferred returns, it, it doesn't get any easier. So truthfully, it's going to come down to the CPA and how the operating agreement is interpreted. And I would think it would be black and white, but typically what we've seen is that what we're reading in the Internal Revenue Code, you know, is mandatory, but in practice, it's largely optional. So because a PREF is generally based on your original capital contribution, it's mandatory to be paid each year or it accrues. And it's one of the first thing paid out before even capital is returned. It's typically, it should be classified as a guaranteed payment. Like I mentioned though, while it's a requirement for the Internal Revenue Code, that part seems largely optional in practice, um, but this is the way that we've interpreted it, and this is the way that, you know, we we provide these code sections to our clients when we're asked about the operating agreement and uh, what that spells out for their investors. So the reason for this is if the PREF is a guaranteed payment, it's going to appear on your K-1 as income, and it's subject to your ordinary tax rates. The reason this is so important is because guaranteed payments, since they're subject to ordinary tax rates, most of your limited partners, since they're not going to be real estate professional status, they can't use their real estate losses from the fund to offset this income because that real estate loss is going to be passive and your guaranteed payment is going to be considered ordinary income. So like I mentioned previously, how the payment is classified is highly dependent on how it's structured in the operating agreement. And you just want to be 100% sure that the CPA you're working with or the attorney can substantiate how they're treating the payment at tax time uh, per the Internal Revenue Code. Um, the other way we see it treated most often is as a distribution. Um, but again, it, it just all goes back to that verbiage in the operating agreement. So it's really important to be clear uh, if, if it's going to accrue, when it's going to be paid in your waterfall at the end of the fund life um, and how it's calculated. So, you're, so basically, I think what I'm hearing is that if the operating agreement is worded in a certain way, uh, this could be a guaranteed payment, um, and, and it, as as opposed to say rental income or a capital gain, um, which can be generally offset by passive income um, when you're in a limited partner position. Uh, but with a guaranteed payment, uh, that's not possible. It's just something they're going to want to watch out for because. You know, paying tax maybe at the 35 or 37% tax rate is, of course, not as favorable as paying tax at the 15 or 20% capital gains rate, especially when you're unable to offset um, you know, either type of income with your, with your passive losses that you may have generated throughout the life of the property. Exactly, Tom. And, you know, what you're going to see there is you'll have investors in a deal and they're expecting these large losses. They've done a cost segregation. It's the first few years of the property. And box two of their K-1 has huge losses uh, from real estate, but that preferred return is classified as a guaranteed payment. So they have these huge losses, but on their own individual return, they're recognizing income and it's just not what they were expecting. So again, you know, it's just really important in how it's worded in the operating agreement. It makes a lot of sense of, you know, everything you're saying, because this stuff is, this stuff does get really complicated really quickly. And for the 
the unsophisticated investor who may not be who may not know what they're getting themselves into may end up uh, having I guess missed expectations when all is said and done in terms of what they're actually receiving and what they're going to be taxed on. Um, so, is there anything else you want to add uh, here today to the conversation about preferred returns? That's all I want to hit on on preferred returns, but just to reiterate from last week as well. You know, we do as a firm, we review operating agreements uh, for LPs. We review them for GPs. Um, so whether you're just looking into a deal, you're just getting started um, or you've been investing in deals for 25 years now, you know, we're happy to assist and read that operating agreement, really interpret it um, no matter which side of the deal you're on. Absolutely. Uh, th- thanks again for coming on today. And everybody who is listening again, if you want to have, if you have any questions about any of this uh, operating agreements in general, uh, please feel free to shoot us an email at contact at therealestatecpa.com. Put in the subject line preferred return questions and we'll go ahead and get those answered. And uh, thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.